Welcome to DAT Podcast, a place for digital age teachers to talk DAT talk about teaching in the 21st century. Here, we welcome all educators. Yes, girl, including you, ranging from those who don't know how to right-click to those who could probably build their own computers themselves. With technology now being ubiquitous in our schools, we have no choice but to now accept the reality that we are all in this together. We're here to guide you through the world of educational technology and all it has to offer to help you navigate teaching in the digital age we live in. I'm Marcus Stein, Director of Professional Development with AXI Education Solutions, an education company in Louisiana. And I am Dr. Sarah Dempster, an Assistant Professor of Education in South Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Episode 5, Finding a Different Way to Communicate. I can sum up this episode's theme in five words, as per my previous email. That's right. This episode is all about the way we communicate with our learners for various reasons, like emails, posting assignment instructions, or chatting during a live class. Yeah, I want y'all to think about every time you swore you explained things clearly, only for everyone to continue asking, what are we doing again? What's going on? Love when that happens. Fun. <laughs> In this episode, we hope to share innovative ideas for really getting your point across as a teacher in any setting. But first, a story, a couple of stories, with a couple of lessons about communication in the classroom. My story time focuses on something that has helped me and my students, assignment templates. If you don't know me, let me start off by saying that I am very much a type A Enneagram One personality, and I appreciate organization and efficiency. I feel like I am constantly trying to figure out how a process can be more efficient. Sometimes I will even spend more time or do more work than necessary to accomplish this. It's a blessing and a curse, to be honest. This very much bleeds into assignment instructions I create for my college students. When I first started teaching my courses, I would write out and review instructions in class, and then the students would do their own thing. And when it was time to grade, their submissions were all over the place. It wasn't that they weren't following directions or not submitting what I asked. It was that I gave them a little too much freedom, so on my end, it would take extra time when viewing assignment submissions to make sure that each student had submitted what I asked. Then one day, I had an epiphany while making some changes to an assignment. I found myself typing out some very specific instructions and thought, what if I make them a template? So I did. Everything the students needed to know, exactly what I wanted them to do, and where I wanted them to enter answers to questions or write out reflections, it was all in the template. And when it was time to grade, something magical happened. It was so easy for me to see that each student had followed all of my instructions because all they had to do was fill out the template. It was amazing. And what I realized is that my students were so new to the field of education, they needed very strict and specific instructions. Then as they progress through their program and gain more knowledge and experience, they will become more able to handle the freedom that comes with less rigorous instructions. So I learned a very important lesson about communication with the students in my classes. And since then, I've converted many of my assignment instruction documents to templates or charts that students copy and paste into a document that gets submitted to our LMS. Another added bonus is that instead of spending time on setting up their documents, students are able to quickly get started on what I actually want them to work through. 
Of course, I still value giving students creative freedom. So most templates also include opportunities for them to add additional thoughts and ideas or personalize what they submit in a very organized way. Even when I ask them to complete reflections on a certain topic, I give them a template to make sure that they are guided through the reflection process since they are developing their self-reflection abilities. This has actually led to more meaningful reflection about how my students can use technology in their future classrooms. So now my ridiculous need for organization and efficiency is no longer an issue when grading and my students always know exactly what is expected of them when working on assignments. That's kind of genius, low key. Like why give them instructions when you can just give them the template? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Work ha. smarter, not harder. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right. My turn, my story about communication or lack of communication, girl. Okay, so if you know anything about me, you know I'm a Google Workspace for Education certified trainer. So I do a lot of training with schools about Google Classroom. Well, in the early days of Google Classroom, um, I got very experimental. And so one day I decided that to show the teachers what the student experience was, they need to be students in a Google Classroom. So I asked for a sample Google account. I made the Google account. I posted a do now in the front of the board, so a bell ringer, of what I wanted everybody to do. And I just put the code of the classroom and I said, join my class. When you get to the class, go to um, classwork and do the first assignment, right? To me, I'm thinking this is so simple. Put in the code, join the class, and like do the work. Dr. Dempster, it wasn't but like two minutes into me like setting a timer and walking around the room that I start hearing notifications and people laughing. And so <laughs> I go to the classroom and everybody is cutting up on the stream. Mind you, these are adult learners. And so they really took the advantage of just having free time and they cut up like the kids. <laughs> there were messages in the stream like, hey, boo, what's up, girl? What's for lunch? Hey, ooh, I like this. This is fun. And I started to get irritated, <laughs> like really irritated because... It was a flashback to when kids got off task. You know, you, you think you give them this great assignment, this, this freedom, this activity, and they just veer off task. And adults, in this case, were the same way. And after that, I wrangled them up. I finished the training and I reflected on what did not go so well. And it was my fault. You know, if I really sit back and think about that first Google Classroom professional development it's my fault. I mean, I left the stream, which is the communication feed of Google Classroom, I left it completely open. And I didn't explain to them what it was or what I wanted them to do with it. And so it's almost like, you know, leaving candy out in a room full of kids, they're gonna eat it. <laughs> so big, big lesson there. The big, big takeaway I want you to get from that is you have to maintain, and you probably do, maintain strong procedures in your classroom. But once you start embedding the element of technology, you can assume that your students can and will click everything. 
It's true. They're going to. So what are you going to do? I encourage you, just like I do, to over explain, (laughs) to over explain. And if there are features like the Google Classroom stream that you're not using quite yet, turn it off. So fun fact, friends, when I teach Google Classroom, I no longer leave all of the features open. I turn communication off on the stream. Lesson learned. Never again, Dr. Dempster. Never again, girl. Yeah, you know when the teachers get excited about something, they got to chat about it. Oh, Lord. (laughs) So the article I found for our receipt section actually addresses this for online classes. All right. Well, let's get into receipts and keeping in the theme of communication. We have sourced some receipts, articles and research that we think might be really useful in your journey to getting your point across clearly. So first up, I want to talk about communication with parents. In our show notes, you'll see a 2017 comparative action research study conducted over a four-week span in a school near St. Paul, Minnesota. The researchers here examined the effects of using three different digital communication tools in early elementary and middle school classrooms. Seesaw, Facebook, and Remind were compared to answer the following questions. To what extent does each digital tool facilitate parent-teacher communication, quality information sharing, and active parent engagement. And overwhelmingly, across all the platforms, the parents agreed that the communication tool was helpful and valuable in enhancing parent-teacher communication. All the parents also reported how easy each of those tools was to use. Where things differed is which platform the teachers and parents preferred. At this particular school, the elementary folks learned more on Seesaw because of the way it created individual student portfolios. The upper grade parents and the teachers preferred Facebook because it's a social media platform that everybody was more familiar with. There's also a ton of deeper data on the frequency of which the teachers posted and the amount of parents who engaged, and I encourage y'all to check that out. But the one thing I want you to really hone in on is that this school didn't pick one way to communicate for all grade levels. So when you think of parent communication for your students, ask yourself if it makes sense for your kids and their parents. Is it working? Are the parents actually in the loop? Or is there something more or less you could be doing? For me, the big takeaway here is that teacher-parent communication should be different based upon the grade level, and maybe even the subject area. So Dr. Dempster, I got a question for you. Um, This is definitely something we think about in K through 12. Do you ever have to communicate with parents? Like, is that a thing as a college professor? Well, actually, once a student is enrolled and begins studying at the university, all communication takes place with the student. And there are actually laws that prevent us from sharing information about students with their parents unless we are given explicit permission to do so by that student. So most of the parent communication I have done is directly related to recruitment events. At these events, it is my job to communicate with potential students and parents about the university and the programs that are offered by my department. Through experience at these events, I've learned that it is best to find a balance between speaking directly to the student and the parent. 
it is important that the student feels welcomed and like they are able to be successful on their own and that parents feel assured that their child will be in good hands at the university. I have learned a lot over the years and I always enjoy meeting potential students and their parents at these events. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's like your students are adults and so you talk to them because they're adults. Whereas in K through 12, um, you have to involve parents. Okay, look at Absolutely. me learning from you. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> so my receipts article is focused on teacher to student communication because that is what I deal with the most in my position. The next article you can find in our show notes comes from April 2020, right when we were all beginning working from home and trying to adapt to our new reality. It discusses the essentials of online teacher-student communication, and although many school districts are returning to in-person learning, the strategies in this article are valid in any situation. Some of the main points include mixing different modes of communication. Consider sending a message as a text, as video, or even audio, depending on the topic, in order to keep students engaged. The author also discusses developing a communication strategy. In this section, the focus is on developing and sharing a plan for how students or parents can contact you by email, telecommunication apps like Skype or Zoom, or even establishing live chat sessions. The key takeaway I wanted to share here is making sure students know how to find the essential information they need to complete assignments. Once you train them to know where to look, students can become more independent and feel confident that they can navigate the online environment without needing to come to you for any small obstacle they encounter. Finally, the article focuses on making communication personal. It can be difficult to make connections in an online environment for both students and teachers. So being very intentional when communicating by using student names or setting aside a time or space for off-topic discussions where you touch base with students can help create a sense of community in an online class. And the article finishes with this quote that I really love. It says, most importantly, be yourself, make jokes, get pulled into wild tangents, laugh and do all of the little things that make your teaching uniquely yours. The teaching world might be turned on its head, but the connection you have with your students remains the same. They can count on it. Wow. I couldn't have summed up like this, this episode any better, Dr. Dempster. I think that quote right there sums up the conversation we're having here is that it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to go off on a tangent because sometimes that will allow you to explain things differently and communicate differently. I like that. I like that. Next up is We Tried It. In this segment, we share things we tried first so you don't have to. We give our honest opinion and discuss how the tool or strategy helped us to solve a problem we faced recently. And this time, we tried to focus on things that might help you get your message across better, faster, more clearlier. <laughs> All of those things. Yes. I'll go first. I want to focus on creating templates in Google Docs. There are a few ways that you can set up templates for students in Google Docs. This may be more applicable for anyone who does not utilize Google Classroom, since Classroom will automatically generate a template for each student. Once you add all the information for an assignment to a Google Doc, others can use your document as a template by clicking File, Make a Copy. This will create a copy of the entire document in their drive 
so that they can make changes and add information as needed. It also means that your original file is preserved in your own drive. Make sure that students don't have access to edit the file so they don't accidentally make changes to the template. Another easy way for students to use a template you have created in Google Docs is for them to just copy the text in your document and paste it into a doc they have created. Don't assume your audience will know that this is an option. Sometimes even the most techie people will forget simple things like this. Thank you. Preach. There's that reminder about the importance of communication. Assume nothing. Guarantee your expected outcomes. Yes. I show my students both ways and allow them to use the method that works best for them for their assignments. You can also use Google Drive or Docs to generate a template. If you go this route, your audience will see a preview of the template and will click Use This Template to generate a copy that they own and can edit. To generate a template, you can use the URL trick. Look for the word edit in the URL of your document and change edit to template slash preview in the URL. Once you do this and hit enter, you will see the template version of your document. This is the URL that you would share with your students or others so that they see a preview of the document and then can click the use template button in order to get a copy that they can edit. Wait, 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 wait. Stop the track. Wait, wait. Say what? So you change a little bit of the text in the URL and boom, you give the receiver a template for their Google workspace and it shows up in the template gallery? Yes. And it sounds more complicated than it is, so look for links in the show notes that will walk you through each of these assignment sharing options. I mean, I'm going to look for the links. <laughs> I like that. You are on fire today, Dr. Dempster. You, okay. Now, I'm going to share you something that has really helped me communicate without saying a word, okay? And that is creating a public Google Calendar. Creating calendar events allows for complete transparency. It also keeps the people involved accountable. And just a note, this definitely works with personal Google accounts. But if you're using a school or a work-managed Google account, you may not have permissions to do this. But check this. On a computer, watch this, watch this. Go to your Google Calendar. Click the gear at the top right and go to Settings. Once you're there, look on the left for the name of the calendar you want to make public. Yes, that means you can have multiple calendars, y'all. Come on, stay with me. Click on the name of the calendar you want to make public. And then under that calendar's access permissions, make it available to the public. And then you scroll down to the bottom where you see integrate calendar settings. And voila, there is your public calendar link. Share it, post it, boom instant transparency. Wait, can we also talk about how people keep sending me the information for a meeting as a text in an email and a Zoom link? It's just as easy to create a calendar event in Google and then send the invite to all participants. This way, the event will show up on everyone's calendar and they will all get a reminder when the meeting is upcoming and the Zoom link is already embedded. Everything lives in my Google calendar, so I use this daily and need all the reminders for events. Preach, Dr. Dempster. Listen, like I said, I'll say it once, I'll say it again. You are on fire with just the ideas today. So thank you. Merci beaucoup. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to start wrapping things up with a positive note. We always love to end things with positivity. And this one is a real life moment. So this happened, I would say probably two months ago. So I'm a full-time ed tech consultant. So it's like being a personal trainer, but for ed tech. Well, sometimes I get teachers or friends who want me to help. And then I have to decide whether or not to give up the goods for free. Well, a couple of weeks ago, a teacher friend of mine asked me to help her third graders use Google Slides. Now, y'all, she involved the kids, so I couldn't say no. I'm just, that's my weakness. So their goal was to create Black History Month Google Slides presentations. Um, and this is this is little kids. And when I tell you that these kids sat quiet, and they were virtual, sat quietly, listened to me, they they raised their hands, they jumped up and out of their seats when they knew how to do something with Google Slides. And it was it was good. I mean, it was fun. And the positive moment is that they sent me the cutest Google Slides presentation, like thank you presentation afterwards. And for me, like that was the sweet moment. That's what made it all like worth it. So the positive moment is to find the positivity, like find the groove, find the sparkle and find like that moment where you are valued and you are going above and beyond. And just like focus on the happy, like these little third graders really turn my life around. So I needed that. You know, that is so true. It can be very easy for us to get caught up in the day-to-day tasks that bring us down. But sometimes um, something that always brings me back to remember the reasons why I love my job is, you know, just working with the pre-service teachers who are the future educators that will be impacting the lives of students and then seeing their passion for teaching or hearing a graduate student's excitement to incorporate the technology they learn about in my class in their own classrooms. Those are the things that spark joy for me and make it all worth it. Yeah, I guess like in a nutshell, this week's positive moment is like a thank you to the learners, you know, the the people we work with because they remind us to be positive. So look at us being positive Patrick and positive Patty. Positive Patrick and Patty. Yes, that should be a t-shirt. I need a positive Patty shirt to remind me to stay positive sometimes. I'm on top of that. I'm on top of that. Yes. On that positive note, we have reached the end of this episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for tons of links and information about everything we talked about in this episode. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Links and usernames are in the show notes, so leave us a like, comment, tweet, or love at any time. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. We hope you will come back next time. Bye, friends. Bye.